Yes, as Sarah said, we're going to conclude the series today on confidence and self-esteem. So there is a very well-known brand of skincare and beauty products which has the strap line, you're worth it. But have you ever thought about what the it is? No? I got to thinking about what the it is. What is it that I am worth according to this brand? Is it the price tag? Is it the time taken to invest in myself and all of the things that make me feel worth it? Is it the, uh, the benefits of the product? I don't know. But um, I'm going to unashamedly hijack that strap line as my, my message title for today. And I'm going to say to us all that you're worth it. But unlike L'Oreal, I'm going to try and define what it is. And it's probably, the it is probably very different to what L'Oreal say. No judgment, but that's where we're going. So by the end of today, I'm hoping that you will be confident and feel a bit more like you are worth it. And you will know what it is. So Sarah said, asked how long I'd been in Stoke. About a week and a half ago, I turned 40. Yes. And you are allowed to look shocked and surprised. And Alex's blesser has gone into kids' church. When I told her I was turning 40, she said, Steph, I thought you were 33. And that is why she's my friend. <laughs> but yes, I turned 40. And I had a lot of friends and family asking me in the run-up to my 40th birthday, how do you feel? Are you, are you okay? Are you okay about turning 40? And honestly, I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'll turn 40. I feel quite confident about turning 40, quite content about turning 40. However, if a decade ago, if you had asked me how I was turning 30, or how I was when I went across the tipping point in my mid-20s to 26, very different answer. I did not enjoy turning 26. And I still had wobbles turning 30. Obviously, there were a lot of lessons that I was taking a very long time to learn. I did not enjoy it. I wobbled left, right, and center. And the reason that I wobbled, oh, I just wobbled. The reason I wobbled was life did not line up with what I expected it to be. Ben hadn't decided if he liked me yet or not. We were all waiting for Ben to catch up with that truth. We were, we were, that was in my mid-twenties. We were all waiting for that. I was expecting to be heading down the aisle in my mid-twenties. I was expecting to be in a proper job. I was expecting to have a house of my own. I was expecting my life to be well and truly together. And by 30, my, when I hit 30, some things had caught up. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, thank you, Ben. Thanks for getting with the program. It's great. <laughs> Other things were taking a little bit longer. And I was wobbling because I was putting the worth of what I thought I was worth. I was determining it and it allowing my, this external situations and circumstances over which I had no control to define what I was worth. And when I turned 40, not that my life is perfect by any means, but I don't allow the external things to dictate my worth. I have learnt and discovered some fundamental truths about what God says I am worth. And I allow those things to dictate my worth. And also I understand that all of those things that I have no control about, they change. 
by the seasons and the circumstances and the, and the chapters of my life. People come and go. Jobs come and go. There is change upon change upon change. And if I allow those things to dictate how much I think I am worth, then my worth is going to go up and down, up and down, up and down. And there's going to be no consistency. And I'm going to be battered and bruised by what life has to throw at me. There must be something more foundational that we build something so important on. So, I'm going to be brave today. Why, when you're going to talk about worth and we're going to get to imposter syndrome in a minute, would you try and do something that you haven't done before? Okay, let's see if I remember how to write. So, full disclosure, I'm not a psychologist, nor do I want to be. I'm not adequately qualified to be a psychologist. I am married to someone with a psychology degree, which is enough. However, there is something that I, I sort of looked into the concept of self-esteem. Because self-esteem is essentially, it's a tool, it's a useful thing as a gauge to see how confident, healthy I am mentally, emotionally. It's a good, it's one of the very, it's a good gauge. However, there's probably more to it. But I want to share something that I found out about self-esteem. So there is a professor called Professor Christopher Mruk. It is spelt M-R-U-K. So if he's listening, I can only apologize. And he came up with an a matrix on what self how to define self-esteem and understand it. I should probably mention the Bible first, shouldn't I? So before we find out what Christopher says, the Bible says this. Psalm 139. Very well known, and verses 13 and 14, very well known. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This message today, like I say, is going to be a little bit about my story. It's going to meander through some situations and lessons that I've learned and overcome. But self-esteem, by definition, is about what I think, about what I believe. Self-esteem, write this one down. This is not my words. This is, I think, Professor Christopher. Self-esteem reflects your overall subjective emotional evaluation of your own worth. That is what self-esteem is, by definition. But we're going to get to God in a moment. It's coming. Freedom's coming. So, here is Professor Chris. Did someone just say freedom's coming? Yes, Jesse. Yes, Jesse. There is, that's confirmation. God is at work today. So, back over here. This is Professor Christopher Mruck's self-esteem matrix. And he says that there are two fundamental determinants that define what your, to define whether, how healthy your self-esteem is. That's a 10. So we have, along here, we have our worth or worthiness. And, oh no, we don't. It's all going so well. Talk on yourselves. This is competence. How much I think I am capable of doing what I'm here to do. And down here, is worth or worthiness. What I think or believe about how good I am as a person. 
And as you can see, there are four quadrants. Up here, if you're scoring quite high, we have high self-esteem. Because we've got a high score of worth, we've got a high score of competence. High self-esteem, would you agree? Yeah. It's not going to get much more complicated because, let's be honest, I'm not going to be able to go there. Down here, because this is the lower the numbers, low self-esteem. And then we have two over here, which are complicated people. I'm one of them. We have up here, we, we feel like we're quite worthy. We like ourselves as a, as a person, but we're not very good at anything. We have worthiness, self-esteem. And then down here, I'm very good at what I do, but I don't think anyone likes me. Competent self-esteem. Makes sense? It does make sense. It makes sense. But this is all about self-esteem. Where is God? And these two lovely people are defensive. These guys wear their masks very, very well because there's a part of them that they do feel quite confident or competent about. And so they get to gloss over the other bit. And Professor, because he's a professor, gets a lot more clinical than I am going to. So please don't worry about that. But I don't know about you, but my sense of worth and competence changes on any given day. I could plot myself up here and here tomorrow, but five minutes after this preach, I could be way down here. It's circumstantial. And sometimes that's a useful thing when we look at these kinds of tools, and they are just tools, but God wants us to be, have a high level of self-esteem, not just because of how good we feel and what side of the bed we got out of, but because of what he says. He wants us to be up here. And the truth, ooh, the truth is in order to be up there, we have to remind ourselves that we are not self-made. We are God-made. So regardless of how I may feel on any given day, God has a different view. God says that he made me. God says that he called me. God says that I am the apple of his eye. God says that I am loved. God says that I am his, pre pre his prized possession and his treasure. That's what God says. I might not agree with him sometimes, but that's what God says. And that is truth that I can build my life upon. And I can remind myself when the numbers are all over the shop around here. And what I quite like, this is just a beautiful irony that I realize in the middle of the night. Because Professor Christopher Rook's numbers go up to 10. If you know your Bible... John 10.10 says, I have come that they might have life and life to the full. That is God's best for us all. And there is more than enough room in that little dot for every single one of us. That is perfect perfection. Now, we might not get to realize that consi consistently this side of eternity. But I want you to know that God's worth it lives right up here. And there are steps and, and barriers and blocks and traps that we need to overcome in our lives in order to make sure the numbers can only keep going up to John 10, 10 territory. And the first step is to realize that we are God made. We are not 
self-made. Because all of this, like I say, is dictated by how much we, how much we, how good we feel, how much cheese we ate the night before, the lies that we've been exposed to as people over our lives, the people that are in and around our lives that we allow to speak to us, how good we feel in the job that we're currently in. It's all it's all circumstantial. It's situational. God is constant, and if something so fundamental and foundational to us living our best life, is going to lean and rest on something that can change any given hour of any given day. We need to put something right. But let's be real, okay? You don't, please don't beat yourself up if you're sat there and you're thinking, goodness me, I'm right down here at the moment, Steph. There is grace today. If, we've, if you've heard anything from since we started this morning's service, God is here and God loves you. And there is a grace for you. This is not about going through different steps and rituals and ticking boxes to find yourself up there. There is a grace journey for us all. And Holy Spirit wants to take us on that journey to help us realize and understand that A, we are worth it, and B, there is space for us right up here in John 10.10 territory. So please remember that first of all, you are God-made, you are not self-made. And one of the barriers, blocks, traps that I have to constantly get over in my life, and I want to share a little bit with you about today, is imposter syndrome. Can anyone else relate to experiencing imposter syndrome? That you are not worthy to have a seat at the table, that you're going to be found out as a fraud. They earned their place, they're meant to be here, they're more qualified than me, of course, they're more anointed than me. Why are you here? And I fit deal with this on a daily basis almost, and it happened even this morning, because I'm preaching, yes, so literally my mind wanted to remind me of everything that I have done wrong, of all the people that I've hurt and disappointed, the fact, and all the things where I have fallen short, of course, of course, but what I've now learned is to call it to account, and take every thought captive, thank goodness. I've been a victim, like I said, <laughs> of this time and time again. And I think to a degree, I think it's like that Paul's version of a thorn in my flesh. I'm not sure it's ever really going to go away because I think it keeps me humble. And we're talking about confidence and self-esteem. And the confidence is not in myself. Confidence in what is what... Do you like that? That's about as street as I'm going to get today. <laughs> it's about what God says. It is about what God says. And what I love about... God. And about this is actually there is a degree of, of worth. There is what God says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. But also there's a line that says I'm competent as well. So in the making, in the fearfully and wonderful making of who I am and who you are, God didn't just say he loves you. God didn't just give you a plan and a purpose and make, to make you feel good. He actually equipped you to flourish and thrive in the life that he has planned for you. You are not only worthy, you are competent as well. And for you to feel, to abolish that imposter syndrome in your mind, to get over and deal with it, to know that you do have a seat at the table that is rightfully yours, that you can take up space at that table, then God, because he wants to make sure his reputation is looked after, will make you competent and will make you fully equipped. Now, again, like I've experienced this in my in my jobs, the jobs that I've had, 
I now work in a job that on paper I really don't think I should have got, but God had different ideas. And it was just, it was just God is just quite beautiful and graceful. But he is now, I've learned that actually since owning this job, I'm equipped to do so. And then when people say, give me the positive feedback, I'm like, oh no, I can do this job. I can, and I'm good at it. And I'm allowed to say that. But when I first got it, I was like, oh, I don't know, it's very, very different. But God's like, no, 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 this is where I want you. I want you to be here, and I'm going to help you to do it and to do it well. Because then when people ask you about why you do it well and what makes you, what makes you tick and why you love developing people, you can say, well, let me tell you about who developed me first and where I get my thoughts and my ideas I shared um, a devotion about a month ago with the creative stream, so you are not allowed to answer this question if you were there. But can anyone remember, or does anyone know, who the first person recorded in the Bible to be filled with the Holy Spirit is? Mike, give them a minute. Anyone know? It's a tricky one. It's like a good pub quiz kind of question. Anyone know? <laughs> it was Bezalel. Of course it was. You're like, who? Bezalel. Bezalel, I didn't really know this. I found this out myself. I'm completely humble about these things. I did not know this myself. I discovered it and went, gosh, there's a lesson in this. In Exodus 35, verse 30 to 35, we find out who Bezalel is, is and why God equipped him and filled him with the Holy Spirit. And it says this. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. He has given him both, uh, both him and Aholiab, son of Ahizamak, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with the skill to do all kinds of work, as engravers, designers, embroiderers, in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit to adorn the tabernacle. That was what God filled him with the Holy Spirit to create a space that was worthy of God's presence. He was filled with the Holy Spirit to make him worthy. But God equipped him with the skill as well. We all need both. If we are going to be filled with God's Spirit, if we're going to glorify God as skilled workers, as his hands and feet, out in whichever world we find ourselves, in whichever sphere we operate in, whether we are in school, college, university, the commercial workplace, the charitable workplace, wherever we find ourselves, whether we are at home raising family, then we are not only worthy by, because we're spirit-filled people, but because God has equipped us to do it well. And I don't want you to beat yourself up again either, because like all things, we have to learn. But actually, the, the, the capacity to learn is also God-given. You are more than able. You are competent today. Maybe you need to let God lift your head a little bit in that area. You are competent. You are not an imposter. People who have imposter syndrome probably sit down here. This is where I would sit. Because I know that I can... 
but I don't feel worthy of it. In my workplace, and my boss is very good at calling me out on this. We've known each other for a long time, and she's like, will you stop with your imposter syndrome? Because you are good at what you do. And that's not me bigging myself up, that's someone recognizing that I am equipped and I am worthy and she wants me at her table. And God wants the same for you. You are not an imposter. You have been equipped with skill and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, the, fear, fearful in, the fearful meaning is not about us being intimidated or scared of each other. It's actually a, like a holy awe and reverence. Do you know you are fearfully and wonderfully made? There is nothing mass manufactured about who you are. You are unique and you are handcrafted and stitched together. And God has said, I need you for this season, for this moment in time, doing exactly what you are doing. You are made with meaning and purpose. So here's what redefines self-worth with God. I'm not worthy because of who I am alone. I am, I am made worthy because of whose I am. And I remind myself on a daily basis to not shy away to lift my head and be confident in my worth and in my competence. Put my big girl pants on, pants on and sit down at the table that God's given me. Maybe you need to sit down. To stop cowering in the corner and wait to be invited. But go sit down at your table. Another thing that's really helped me, and I've used this, in, I've, I realize I sit, we say this um, phrase quite a lot at the moment. But I have learned to run my lane. And like I said, I've been using it an awful lot. And along with recognizing and addressing imposter syndrome, discovering this truth of running my lane has brought so much freedom. Because I'm not meant to be able to do everything. And I'm not meant to be everything. And there are some things that actually God says, I don't need you to do that. So I'm not going to actually give you the skill to do that, but that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're not worthy. It means I need you to focus here. This is where I need you, Steph. And God says the same about you. You need to find your lane and run it. You don't worry about what else is going on either side of you. Find your lane. My lane looks different to yours. My life looks different to yours. That's okay because we're fearfully and wonderfully made, handcrafted. We are made to be different and to complement each other. We need to learn that my lane, your lane, has got nothing to do with what you do. It has nothing to do with your life experience to a degree. It has nothing to do, again, to a degree. With, to the, it's not defined by the people who are in your life. They feature in your lane. They do not define your lane. Only God defines your lane. And if you're thinking, well, that's great, Steph, but how on earth do I find out what my lane looks like? If you're saying it's nothing to do with what I do and it's nothing to do necessarily with the people around me, what on earth do I do about finding out my lane? This is what I did. I asked God. I mean, it's not meant to be sound that simple, but it is. Because... In the Bible, we read that God gives measures of faith and he gives gifts accordingly. So I thought, right, what's God given me? And what has God given me that actually, regardless of situation, doesn't change? 
And there are two things that I pulled out. I mean, there are many other things, but there are two things that really resonated with me when I asked myself this question and I sat down and thought about it. And one is that I love helping other people. Practically, yes. But I love helping other people realize their capability and their capacity. I love seeing people grow. I love seeing people overcoming things in their life. I love solving problems. Ben hates it sometimes because he's like, will you stop trying to solve my problem and just listen to me? But that's, it's, it's in me that I just love solving problems and finding solutions for other people. And I can look back in my life and go, I've done that in so many different kinds of areas. So that must be part of what my lane is, that I will always be able to be in a position where I can help people learn and grow. The other thing that it will always be in my lane is hospitality. I believe that, and it's a, hospitality is a God-given gift, and I believe that it's one of mine. And it's not just about coming into our home and having a nice meal and feeling at home and at ease in our home, although I do hope and pray that if you ever come around our house, that's exactly how you feel. We actually, when we bought our house, our first house, not when I was 30, but there we go. Mike and Janet came around, we invited them and we said, will you pray for our house, that it would become a home not just for us, but a home for other people as well, that people would come and feel safe in our home. And it's not just in our physical house, it's actually wherever I go, that I, I hope and I pray that I help people feel at ease and I create the sense of home wherever I go, that I create a safe space for other people. That's my prayer anyway. And again, that doesn't matter whether it doesn't matter if I am in a with a particular hat on, and because those hats are going to change all the time. But I hope that those things stay the same. Hebrews 12 explains it like this: Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us you have got a race that is marked out just for you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made and so is your race and so is your lane so go find out what that god adventure looks like and run paul doesn't say take a little stroll down your lane god paul says run it and i believe that that's paul saying because if you run it means that you're all in it means that you are intentional. It means that you know that there is something worth getting to at the end. That's why we need to run, Alain, and not do it half-heartedly. Because again, if God has made you fearfully and wonderfully, if God has made your circumstances fearfully and wonderfully, if God has plans and purposes that he has handcrafted and hand-knitted for you, it is for his glory and not yours. So if I run my race half-heartedly and just jog it, what does that say about what I think about God? Run your race, run it full pelt, and run with reason, because the prize is worth it, the journey is worth it, and the prize giver is absolutely worth it, and so are you. And when we understand how to run our lane, run in our lane, we all get to celebrate each other and not compare. And that, in and of itself, is such freedom. It is unreal. Because if I stick in my lane, I'm quite at ease when I see someone else running in their lane. 
knowing that their lane is marked out for them and not for me. So we get to cheer each other on. So come alongside each other and cheer each other on. Run your race, yes. But don't look to each don't look to the sides and think, I wish I had their lane, it looks easier. Look to their lane and cheer them on doing what they can only do because they have been made worthy and competent. Not in their own skill, but because God has equipped them. Who are you cheering on either side? Because if you're cheering other people on, then you will get cheered on by default. And that is the beauty of the body of Christ. We all need each other to cheer each other on. And remember, all of this, we talk about self-esteem, but it's not, it doesn't stop with just who, what I think. It's all about what God says. And it is because of whose we are. And he is calling you onwards. And he is calling you forwards. And he is calling you on to an adventure that only you can run, that only you can realize. There is a mountain for you to climb. So climb it and get to the top and I'll wave from my mountain. <laughs> so the final thing I want to say to you, we've been talking about you are worth it. But you are always worth it. Do you know you're worth it now? Not because advertising tells you. Not because you're having a good hair day. Not even because your parents or your spouse tell you or you get a good performance review at work. Do you know you're worth it in spite of and despite it all? Do you know you're worth it because God says so? And do you know you are always worth it? Any lack of perceived lack of competence and worth does not change what God says. You need to change. We need to change. We need to realign our thinking. Even the things that we've already done, the things that we are going to do, God says you're worth it. And this thought blew my mind this week when I thought about it. And it came to me one morning when I was thinking about what I was going to say. We live this side of the cross, yeah? So Jesus has already died. So God knew how I was going to live my life. He knew every fault that I would make and where I would fall short from birth to the grave. And not only did he say I was worth dying for, he said, Steph, you're still worth making in the first place. And, I really, and what followed in my thought was there are people in this room who might think, I'm not meant to be here. I'm an accident. You weren't an accident to God. God said you were worth making because you are worth it. You were worth creating and still worth dying for. God sees and knows every skeleton and calls you loved. And the minute you get your head around that and you stop trying to plot yourself on any given day, in any different circumstance, on a matrix that is man-made, intelligent, all the same, but man-made, the minute you get your head around that God says you are worth it, regardless of anything and everything else, then there is so much freedom. There is so, your whole world will change forever. So I think we need to pray. <laughs> there is a lot to pray about. 
And actually, I could, I could pray a very generic prayer, but I actually think that we need to uh, perhaps do some individual business. So I want you to bow your heads. I want you to have a moment with God. I've tried to say a lot, but also try and hone in on a few things. A few things that I know have brought me victory, and I pray that would might bring you victory too. What stands out? What do you need God's help with to change? How is your head going to be lifted and stay lifted? God, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone who gets to listen to this message, God. I pray that it makes sense. And I pray that, God, we would know from the depths of who we are that we are worth it. We are worth you dying for us. You, we are worth you making us. We are worth being handcrafted and not mass manufactured. We are worth being knit together. We are worth plans and purposes that are far greater than we dare ask, dream, or imagine. Because we know that you are in the business of making. That you are our source. And Father, I pray that we would all allow you to speak. I pray that we would allow you to bring truth into our life, to bring a steadiness, to bring a consistency that allows us to journey towards that John 10.10 land that you have prepared for us, that you desire for us. And God, I pray for people in this room who are still struggling with that idea of being worthy. Perhaps because God, life is telling them otherwise. They are hearing loud messages. I pray that you would help them to take their thoughts captive in Jesus' name. I pray that your voice would be louder than the lies of this world in Jesus' name. I pray there would be healing in hearts and minds in Jesus' name. I pray for those people who are concerned or, or have been told that they aren't meant to be here. They are here by, an, by accident. Lord God, I pray that they would have a confidence today that there is a plan and a purpose and they were fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And that matters. And I pray for those people in this room and listening online who perhaps haven't considered the fact that they were fearfully and wonderfully made at all. That they didn't know that they are worth dying for. That they are so loved regardless of circumstance, that haven't allowed you into their life yet or have shut you out for a while and need to let you back in. God, I pray that we would let you all be God. We would all let you be God. God, would you do what only you can do? Would we remind ourselves of what you have done? Remind ourselves of what you have said and what you are going to keep on saying. Lift our heads, God. Amen.